This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. I want you guys to go to duketigbrand.com. D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. If you're a coach or someone in the soccer community, they make absolutely outstanding products. I use three of their products on a regular basis, and I can't recommend them enough. D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. Select whatever product you'd like, and I can save you 10% at checkout. Use the promo code BROADWATER19, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout. DukeTigBrand.com. In Season 2, Episode 13, we continue the conversation that started on Wednesday with Daniel Workman of the Daniel Workman Show and DanielWorkman.com. More on that in just a sec. I just want to say thank you, and I feel like I say this a lot on the show, but I really, really mean it when I say it. The people that have reached out via email, direct messages, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it might be, text messages that have expressed their support for the show has truly been amazing. And when I started this journey in December of last year, really had no idea where any of this would go, even if it would get off the ground, quite frankly. And I'm so thankful to you, the listener, for believing in what we're trying to do here at the On The Touchline podcast. And, you know, we're trying to shine light on coaches and players and influencers in the game that you may or may not know. But to understand that you might have something in common with them, you might relate to something that they said, to show that a lot of the guests on this podcast have the same struggles that I have as a coach. And that, yes, they might have a fancy title after their name, but in reality, we're all fighting a very similar battle. So I just want to say that before we get into this episode, because your support truly means the world to me as the host of this show. You can find us on 11 different podcasting platforms. And please keep doing what you're doing. Tell your friends, tell fellow coaches. Um, Heard from a coach earlier this week that word of mouth uh, was talking about the show with uh, some coaches at a camp that this particular coach was working. That was pretty cool to hear. So whatever it might be, if it's social media, if it's word of mouth, or leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcast, that'll take you all of a minute to do, maybe even less. And there's a link in my show notes of how to get to Apple Podcast so that you can review the show. If you've never done it before, it really would mean the world to me if you would do that and help more and more people in the soccer community find out about what we're doing. You can also connect with me on social media. I'm highly active on Twitter and Instagram, and my handle is at SoccerCoachJB. So if you're listening to the show or if there's something you like that a guest has said or whatever it might be, you just like the entire episode, please be sure to tag me or reach out to me. Um, I love when people do that. And I try my damnedest to get back to every single person that sends me a message. So um, please know that your messages are at least being seen. All right, enough of me. Let's get right into it. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Daniel Workman, Season 2, Episode 13 of the On a Touchline Podcast. When are you uh, throwing your hat in the ring for U.S. Soccer Federation president? (laughs) (laughs) You know, um, John Pronich, uh, (laughs) you mentioned him before. Uh, John and I are friends, and um, we met met a while back and and, uh, stayed in touch over the years. And John asked me that 
or said something about that at the end of a podcast I did with him. And, uh, you know, it's, it's quite funny. I, I don't see myself running for president of us soccer anytime soon. Um, but I hope that, um, what I can do and, and what you're doing as well is to keep turning the light on and shining the light on issues and in places where, we can make progress and make improvements. And um, so hopefully in those ways I can, I can keep helping uh, behind the scenes as well as, you know, in front of a mic um, and uh, you know, in other ways as well. I I was going to say, I know somebody who could be a a really, a a damn good vice uh, vice president. uh, And I I think you might know him too. uh, our, Our mutual friend, Chris Kessel, that uh <laughs> absolutely absolutely i was i was with chris out at the u.s soccer agm yeah. and um chris is another great guy that uh, i met a few years ago and people people ask me right you you, you were like in the very beginning where, where are you from i i'm from the gulf coast so how did you connect with all these people like how did for me it was it was social media it was twitter mm-hmm. has been the main element where I've connected to people. And, um, and so it's, it's a natural progression where it's gone from, you know, Twitter to Twitter DMS to text messages, to phone calls, to in-person meetups, and, you know, now built real relationships and friendships with, with people, uh, in soccer all over the country. And in fact, all over the world. And it's, it's been, it's been, you know, really, really cool. I mean, I don't know that I've, I would have ever thought I would have been on a phone call to a six, seven year old boy in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I took my son out to train in LA for two weeks with um, the LEFC Academy, when it was first getting formed, um, we were staying at an Airbnb that was, um, a Chinese with a Chinese family. And, um, and so they were taught called some of their family back in China and, and, and wanted me to talk to them. <laughs> it was just, it was wow. so crazy. And, uh, so it, you know, it's just one of one thing after another, kind of the six degrees of separation for me, it all goes back to Twitter and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and with Chris. And so, you know, he, he does some, amazing amazing work in west virginia and then he talks about it he writes about what we can do in u.s soccer and you know i i love the fact that and and i witnessed this at at the agm last year as well as this year with chris and that is he is one of the few people who is willing to speak up he, he's not afraid to ask questions, to challenge, to push back on, you know, federation executives, um, state association or regional association or national association leaders. And, and not in, not in a way that you would go like the guy's a troublemaker. Instead, it's like refreshing. He's like, okay, so now you just said this. Now, how does this line up with this? And so it's, 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 it, if if we had that across the board from all of these state associations and others, I mean, that too would mean we were living in a different soccer space in terms of, you know, American soccer, because we don't have enough of that. Um, and um, you're right. He's a great guy. I, I hope he runs or, or tries to run again in 2020. Um you know, if for no other reason, because I think he has a lot of great things to say. And I, I think a lot of those voters need to hear it and at least debate in their own minds, the merit of those ideas. Um, most, most of which, if not all of which I think we need to do. Um, and, you know, so hopefully we, we get some positive movement uh, on that with him uh, going into next year's, vice presidential election because this one was a special election one year term. So uh, he's got another chance in like nine months. I found the, uh, the Twitter world, especially when it comes to 
I don't know if I'd call ourselves outliers, uh, but folks who are willing to maybe ask uh, some of the tough questions, right? That you might not always get in some of the mainstream media. And I back up a second, say that I very much appreciated um, what you and Chris and uh, a few others were doing in terms of a, an independent look at the AGM uh, a few weeks ago, because you know, here I am uh, in my house in, in Pittsburgh and I'm following along, you know, I was with, you know, mainly through you and mainly through Chris and um, I think another person that, uh, you know, you guys shared some really, really good stuff and we need more of that, right? We need, you know, I always say that, uh, you know, don't confuse dissent with disloyalty and that, uh, stole that from a, a previous podcast guest, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I just think we need to continue to shine light on things that are problematic and things that are, you know, troubling. And maybe that's a good pivot into, um, Daniel, tell the folks about your podcast and about what you're trying to do. And I wanted to ask you, well, I'll go to that one first, but I want to ask you about the the path forward that um, you and Chris have been collaborating on and, and tell folks about that as well. So look, the, the, creation of soccer works as a podcast was born out of my experience running Eric Winalda's campaign for president of us soccer in 2000, the 2018 election and traveled all over the country with him, um, met a lot of great people all over the country and really got to see the belly of the beast and you know, the inner workings of us soccer, it is as bad or worse than, than I su suspected before. And, you know, unfortunately a lot of those um, suspicions were confirmed in terms of just how things are done and, you know, the kind of um, callous attitude that's, that is, um, floating around the upper echelons of U.S. soccer, it's 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 very, um, it's a very kind of isolated, incubated, um, you know, hierarchy. So there is there there is very little accountability between U.S. soccer as a federation, its leadership, its voting members, and then the American public, and so kind of going through all of that experience right after we lost, I walked out of the general council meeting and I met with some folks in the lobby of the hotel. And I told them, look, there are some things that have to be done for change to happen. And so I kind of talked with them about these things. And one of the things I mentioned to them was that, our media is compromised. They are not going to tell the, the, the stories that need to be told. They are not going to cover issues in a way that they need to be covered. They are compromised because of the relationship ESPN and Fox have with us soccer through soccer United marketing, which is the company completely owned by major league soccer. The, because of that relationship, all of these people, these voices that the American soccer public look to for answers and for coverage, they're only going to give you the story that they are allowed to give you in many cases. And so even if things are covered, they're not going to necessarily be covered to the depth that they need to be covered or with the angle that they need to be covered with because of that relationship they they just by the nature of that 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 agreement they are, they are compromised so the only way we can begin to shine a light on a lot of these issues is that we have to have some voices begin to rise up and so i you know i kind of shared with them that and so i didn't i didn't launch into soccer works until the end of summer and that, that election, that election happened in, you know, second week of February. So there was some time there. And part of the reason um, 
why, you know, I kind of got to that point was, is I, I kept having some conversations with some people and, you know, in, in the soccer space, working in different aspects of the game. And I kept going, okay, Hey, are you going to pull the trigger on this? Are you going to do this? Or, you know, kind of one of those, like, like, all right, you need to do this. You need to do this. <laughs> and no one was pulling the trigger. And so then finally I was like, you know what? I, I just need, I'm just going to start talking about some things. I'm just going to start, I'm going to start covering it and, and just kind of see where it goes. So I started in with soccer works as an experiment first and foremost for myself. Could I stick with it? Could I do this and do it every day? So because, you know, I felt like that was the, the, the format in terms of daily or frequency in terms of daily, weekly, monthly, I chose daily. It's like, there is no way in the beginning, especially that I can do long form content and keep up with, with that for an everyday deal. It's just not going to happen. So I chose this two minute podcast format and um, did it so that I could start to share the episodes on Twitter, share them on Instagram, IGTV, Facebook, YouTube, and pretty much ran that exclusively uh, for, for a long time. And then here recently, I've been running some longer episodes. Some of those were from the U.S. Soccer AGM. I was invited to, to do a live version of the podcast, similar to what I'd done at the U.S. Soccer AGM at a recent uh, youth that uh, soccer festival. And so I had some guests on, uh, released one of those episodes. And then in the last six days, so today will be day seven that we'll release the part seven on the podcast of the path forward and, you know, set up a page on my website that has all the episodes are already preloaded and you can listen to all of them. And, you know, the, the, the reason why that kind of shift is hap as is kind of happened is that, you know, I had 180 or so episodes, you know, or more, kind of building up into some of these longer form opportunities. Um, but it was all with this idea of shining a light. And one of the things I think is really important about what you do, what I do, what others do is that for me, my, my kind of focal point, the thing that, that centers me when I'm looking at us soccer and in, trying to have a voice and trying to make a difference is I operate off of this vision that I believe that American soccer, that the U S can be the greatest soccer country on the face of the planet. That's my belief. And so everything I talk about, all of that motivation is from getting us to where we are, which is, I believe an addiction to mediocrity and malaise and pushing ourselves in the same way that JFK pushed the country to say, we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of this decade. I believe that that's what our president of us soccer should be saying that in, in 10 years, we are going to be the best soccer country on the face of the planet. That should be the proclamation. Even if we fall short, if that was our vision, as a federation, that means that we are having different conversations about what we're doing today, what we're doing tomorrow. Forget what we've done in the past. How do we get to that? And if that becomes the guide for every decision, every choice, every election, then we're, we're making different choices in the end. Because we've been doing the same things over and over for the last 25 years. And what progress has been made has been outstripped by the progress that's being made around the world. So if you look at, at U.S. soccer as a microcosm and you say, you know, we're going to just look at just U.S. soccer and you, and you graph out where we are as a country, you could make the claim that we've had growth, that we've had improvement in some areas. Alarmingly, you could also make some arguments that we've declined 
our registration numbers are dipping and in some cases dropping off a cliff. So in areas that we have made progress, you could say, man, pat on the back, great job. But if you look at U.S. soccer in total, you can't say that because we have a lot of issues where we have actually just just looking at U.S. soccer, not looking at the rest of the world. We have actually gone backwards. But then when you look at U.S. soccer in comparison to a global standard, we are getting left in the dust. So we might be going 35 instead of 30, but they're going 90 when they were going 60. So we're getting left. We're getting left behind in a major way. And we shouldn't be. And, and so that's what drives me. That's what drives the podcast. That's what drives all of my work in the game is like trying to make American soccer a better place for all involved uh, in, in terms of system structure, all of that. And so the path forward to kind of, you know, answer that question, the path forward was um, really, it was a, it was a hour and a half conversation that Chris uh, Kessel and I kind of talked through a presentation that has some slides on it that looks at where we are and where we could be, where we should be in our, in our view uh, as a country. And it is tied up with um, that, that we haven't released publicly yet is a, is a white paper and action steps that come next. Um, that we'll, we will be releasing very soon. And, and it, it basically says, okay, here's the next steps and here's what we need to do. And here's who needs to be involved in that. And, and it, here's how we go forward. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talk in American soccer. And I saw it through the election season last year. I saw it, um, you know, at the, the, uh, lower league soccer summit that happened in Chattanooga after the election. I I've seen it over the course of this last year, just from all parts of the country conversations I've continued to have with people involved in the game. There's a lot of conversation, a lot of talk, a lot of well-meaning conversation, but the time now is for action. It's, it's for substantive change. How do we get there? What can we do? And so what Chris and I put together with the the path forward is basically talking through some of these big bullet point issues of American soccer, the system and in structure and how how it is now, how it how it should be. And then we will follow that up with an actual plan to go forward. How do we get there? So. On a, on a macro level, there are some systemic things that need to happen in terms of leagues being connected to, to, to an, one another. And so that's a big part of it. But on a microcosm level, there's also got to be what we talked about earlier, which is clubs themselves have got to be taking the bar to a higher level in their own area, their own club, their own community, their own city. They've so it's it's it it's both on a macro and a micro. We've got to get better. And if we do that, like I said, if we had 50 Chattanooga and Detroits, if we had, you know, a hundred Chattanooga and Detroits, we're having a different conversation around the country about what the next step looks like, how soon we can we get there. Because Look, for all of the talk about the NPSL and the NPSL Pro and the Founders Cup and all these different things, the truth is that there there are, you know, 10, 11, 12 clubs involved in that Founders Cup NPSL Pro project. And then there's, you know, 80, 90 clubs in the NPSL. But if you were to look at those two entities and those those two groups, they're they're not level one and, and level two. The NPSL really would be like a level four. I mean, they're they're not the, the operations of these clubs are not at a level. You know, Detroit and Chattanooga were, so they were able to kind of have that conversation and have a real conversation and take action on it. But there were not another 15 or 20 clubs in the NPSL 
ready to, to, to join that opportunity right now. And so what we've got to do as a country is start to figure out how to close that gap and start to figure out how to get a leagues into alignment to start to get these commercial dollars um, into alignment with aggregation of leagues and clubs into unified you know systems rather than this war of leagues and, and you know where we're we're constantly poaching each other so you, you know when you look at where we are as a country the path forward is saying okay here's where we are here's where we could be where where we think we should be in terms of aim goal destination and here's how we get there and this is why it matters uh, hopefully that kind of gives you a good summary of what we were trying to accomplish with that project. Well, uh, I, I was going to say that, uh, and folks thought that Eric Winalda and candidates like uh, himself and, uh, and hope solo were, uh, were the crazy ones, right? <laughs> I mean, uh, I, that, that's a, I have to have you back on to talk about what that whole uh, process was like of uh, working on his campaign. Um, so uh, something maybe to, to wrap up, um, do you think a candidate like an Eric Winalda or someone philosophically aligned with his thinking, uh, do you think that they would actually ever win a, you know, U.S. soccer president election? And I, I don't want to sound completely cynical because I think in order to orchestrate change, right, it, it does take time, but it's a consistent and constant beat of a drum that folks like you, Chris, uh, you know, uh, John Townsend, what I'm trying to do, John Pronich, uh, I'm sure there's others, um, you know, that I'm missing, but, uh, you know, we're all in our own way, you know, beating that drum, but yet collectively, I think we're saying a lot of the similar, you know, similar things in, uh, I don't know at the next election. I mean, because if, if I recall, right, I mean, when, um, Sunil Gulati was president that there were a number of times where he was unopposed, right? Yeah, he was, he was definitely unopposed. Um, yeah. I mean, look, the, the, here, here's the truth about the U S soccer elections in a nutshell. If you, matter of fact, if you go back to the very beginning of soccer works, I believe it's episode six, seven, eight, nine. I talk about the four councils of U S soccer when I was just starting the podcast and, um, those four councils collectively hold like, I think it's 80, 90, 80, 85% of the overall vote. So like athlete council gets 20%, the professional, the adult amateur and the youth amateur councils each get roughly 25%. So it's about 85 ish percent that is in those four councils you need 50 percent plus one to win an election so <clears throat> to kind of walk you through the answer to your question which is how do you get a reformist elected president right now it it's very difficult to try to do that because the athlete council is in cahoots with the professional council on everything they are in lockstep so people look at the athlete council and they go how could you but you have to understand who the athlete council is the athlete council is not a player council representing all players in america that is not who they are that is not what their charter is and their their entire existent existence comes from the ted stevens act so because U.S. soccer is the national governing body and has jurisdiction over U.S. Olympic sports, meaning the U.S. Olympic soccer program, they have to abide by the Ted Stevens Act. If they, if they were not involved with the Olympic program, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even have to have an athlete council. But the athlete council, as defined by the Ted Stevens Act, is a council made up of national team players. That's who the athlete council is. So you could be a 
15 year major league soccer veteran, but if you weren't ever involved with the national team, you could never serve on the athlete council. They are not responsible to answer to any of those athletes or players. The players do not elect the athletes on the athlete council. They elect themselves. So the national team players basically decide who amongst them are going to be on the council. So when you have that kind of setup, that setup is 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 also mirrored all around U.S. soccer. So we don't have this open, transparent democracy. It's not a situation where you have accountability, even with the athlete council. So there was a bunch of uproar during the 2018 presidential election about how could the athlete council back a status quo candidate, an insider candidate like Carlos Cordero, when you have your own fellow athletes running for president of U.S. soccer, this is the best opportunity you, you are ever going to have to take soccer and, and, and begin to make it more athlete friendly, top to bottom, change the system. How, how could you do that? How could you go in that direction? Well, the truth is, is that that athlete council, just like the American soccer media that are involved with the Soccer United marketing contracts with U.S. soccer and, and Fox and ESPN, et cetera, they are all in bed together. So they, they are compromised. Many of them get appearance fees from U.S. soccer. That's how they make their living. So they show up at events and they get a paycheck through Wasserman and other, other companies. So And all that comes through Soccer United Marketing. So these athletes are on the athlete council getting a paycheck for doing, you know, public appearances and, you know, and all of those things. And, and I'm, look, I'm not deriding them for making a living. Go for it. I'm just, I'm talking about the structure of the actual council itself, not the people on the council, but the structure of the council is set up to be incestuous. It is not open. It is not transparent. It is not accountable. So you have a 20% block that is going to vote in their own self-interest. They are they have no obligation to vote in the interest of the player. The millions of registered players in US soccer, they they don't represent them. They 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 it's not to say that they don't ever think of them. I'm just saying by their own charter, they're not bound to them. Those players do not elect them. They are not accountable to them. So when you have that block and you have the professional council that is dominated by Don Garber in Major League Soccer. When you put the two of those councils together, that's 45% plus. You know, it's a little over 45% of the overall vote. It doesn't take but just a handful of other votes from, you know, either some state associations, some lifetime members that get a vote, board members of U.S. soccer that get a vote to reach that that 50% plus one mark. So it's very difficult to see in the near future a, a situation where a candidate like Eric or Hope are going to be able to win an election in U.S. soccer. I mean, they just voted down a, a bylaw change that would have allowed coaches – and members of the armed forces to have a voice on the board. <laughs> I mean, if you're yeah. not willing to give coaches and the armed forces representation on your, on, on the national board of directors, the odds of you getting a reformist candidate elected president or vice president of us soccer is, is even, you know, slimmer than that. So um, <clears throat> I think the only way that we get to that place is by making progress in other areas, media interviews, things like this. I think that begins to shine light and, and hold accountable certain um, elements. I think another area is the, is the, you know, rolling up of the sleeves, you know, picking yourself up from the bootstraps, just saying, look, we are going to make the soccer where we are the best it can be. And then going, okay, hey, how do we work with other cities, other clubs, other communities to do the same thing? I think until we're in that kind of place, I don't see 
the dissolution of the relationship between the professional council and the athlete council. Because as long as they are tied at the hip, there's not going to be any changes. So that gravy train is is pumping money back and forth. And they're, you know, that they're all getting, you know, money out of that. So there's there's no way that you're going to uh, change that relationship without changing that flow uh, there in terms of some of the appearance money with the athlete council and the in the you know access to power and 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 all of these different things until those things shift they're going to keep voting the way they're voting now it's not going to change so you know I, I don't mean to be a debbie downer here this but this was the tough lesson that we learned last year um there there were a lot of you know, i mean we could spend an entire series of episodes on the 2018 election. I've had many people tell me you need to write a book about it because it was crazy. Some of the things that happened, but the, you know, the truth about that, that whole thing for me was the truth of the likelihood of a reformist candidate winning anytime soon is just not realistic. Um, And so I don't think, I don't think change is going to come from an election um, in the near future. I think change is going to come through some of the legal challenges. And I think change has an opportunity to come through the hard work of people like yourself and others around the country, just deciding, Hey, I'm not going to wait for the Federation to figure it out. We're going to figure it out ourselves. I signed the, uh, I don't know if you'd call it a petition letter. Uh, yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, uh, that you and, and Chris um, had been sharing on social media and uh, trying to share that out with, uh, you know, some of my followers and listeners as well. And, um, you know, I, I'm i just doing it as a guy that cares about U.S. soccer and wants it a little bit better, um, you know, because I – I often wonder, Daniel, if during our lifetime we will see it through uh, in terms of that change that we, you know, that we're craving. Uh, the folks like Eric are craving in Hope and, you know, all the other people that we've talked about. Um, but you know what? I, I think what drives me is probably my kids, that I want them to have just that, just a different experience in, uh, you know, not be bound in, you know, this goes back to the beginning of our conversation of that soccer path right now being this sort of individualistic journey. And I don't know, uh, you know, there's that old saying that um, we wanted, you know, our, our parents wanted it better for us. We want it better for our kids, right? And sort of pay it forward to the degree that we can. And I don't know. I, I yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you said. And, uh, you're a you're a walking encyclopedia of knowledge, by the way. <laughs> Holy shit! Um, I mean, but yeah, it, that it has to start somewhere, right? It has to start. You know, I maybe I hate this term for the for what we're trying to do, but you know, organically or sort of at the grassroots level of just raising awareness about it. And you know, the funny thing, at least what I've found, if if you or I have a very level headed conversation with fellow coaches, parents, players, anybody really that would listen, most people will come to the conclusion of what you're saying and what I'm saying and, you know, folks like us are saying, that's pretty reasonable. Like, that's not a crazy thing to think of, right? Um, And most people say, wow, that makes a whole lot of sense. So why aren't we doing it? And then you continue to peel back the layers of the onion and you say, well, you know, if if you think the Republicans and Democrats are screwed up, <laughs> you know, let, let's talk about U.S. soccer. We can tell you about screwed up. And, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, it. I I don't know. And like I said, I mean, I I think in my lifetime. I mean, you know, I'm forties looking me in the, the eye here soon. So uh, that that is the one thing I want in my lifetime. Um, and I, you know, I don't know if I would have said that as a teenager, but that's where I'm at in my life now. I'm with you. And look, I, as 
pessimistic as I sound on elections, I am not pessimistic about U.S. soccer and about American soccer. Um, I do want to make that distinction. As much as I don't like a lot of the things that happen at the upper levels of U.S. soccer, I still believe, I have hope, that if a plan is rolled out and makes sense and is executable, then I think we can see some real progress. That's ultimately where the path forward is heading. And I know from private conversations with some leagues around the country um, that they are very interested in signing on and joining up with a project like that. So, you know, I'm hopeful that despite all of the the noise or the frustrations at, in, in the echo chamber level of U.S. soccer at the top, I do think we can make a lot of progress and, you know, and, and do some things that have never been done before. And, and, you know, like I said, I think that's a macro level conversation, but it has micro level ramifications in, in terms of local impact, local club, local community. And, and, and then at the same time, I think that one of the things we have to get better at in U.S. soccer, and I'm one of those, you know, you could say, man, you're, you're pretty harsh or whatever, but I, I just believe in like looking at where something is and just giving an honest evaluation and then saying, okay, that's good, that's crap, that's whatever. And, and I do this even with my own kids. I mean, we, we will get in the car and, and they'll say, okay, you know, one to 10, how was that? And, and this is a conversation that we have. And so I'll rate them. They'll rate themselves. They'll rate each other. And, and in the same way, I believe that that creates, you know, even in our own family, just this honest dynamic of, you know, accountability and, and kind of like, you know, saying, okay, hey, I, I didn't have a great game. Or there have been times where I've, I've ranked one of my kids and said, okay, Hey, I thought it was a really, really good game. You were a, you know, seven or eight out of 10. And they're like, man, I didn't think I played that well at all. I'm like, Oh no, dude, you were amazing. And they're like, yeah, but I didn't score. I'm like, so what? Like this was a mate, like you did great. So in the same way, when I look at us soccer, I think that on a, on a local scale in a local area with, with your club, we got to make changes there. We've got to make we've got to make improvements there. We've got to have conversations with board members and club presidents and coaches to say, look, right now we're a four out of ten. And here's here's why we're a four out of ten. And here's where we're missing it. This is not a beat ourselves over the head with a stick moment. This is just a, a an honest, introspective, reflective moment. And we're going to do some self-evaluation. We're going to look ourselves in the in in the mirror and say, okay, hey, we're not doing this, 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 and this. We're doing this over here pretty good, but it could be better. And then going, okay, what's our plan to address it? And and how do we get that better? How do we make that better? How do, how do we take, you know, if we've got 800 kids in our club, how can we have our, our club reach 200 more kids in the next 12 months? And what do we have to do to get those 200 kids? Is it transportation? Is it scholarships? Is it better, you know, advertising and marketing? But whatever it is, this is going to be our goal. This is what we're going to do. We're going to stretch ourselves to 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 reach that goal. And that's on a micro level. And if we start doing that around the country, at the same time we're doing that on a system level with a project like the Path Forward and 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 the work that's coming out of that, then we can start to see some real change. And then later on we can have that conversation about what does it, the next U.S. soccer election look like? But right now, it's not even worth, you know, beating yourself up over it or even, you know, putting a ton of energy and time into in terms of, of, of a president or vice president level just because of knowing that relationship between the athlete council and the pro council. It's just it's not it's not possible right now. Uh, the the only chance only chance and i'm not saying that that it's a good chance i'm saying the only chance you know maybe a five percent chance at best that a reformed minded candidate could win is that they would have to go and build relationships and trust 
with voting members around the country for two years before they ran for president. And so far, even last year, no one's been willing to do that. And so the one, the, the person that won is the one that had been around the Federation for 10 years, Carlos Cordero, you know, as a board member and then a vice president. And then now as president, every other candidate got in, you know, three or four months before the election and, and tried to win the election. And I, I'm not make, making any judgment on them. What I'm saying is my experience has taught me that in order to win an election in U.S. soccer, you've got to build some relationships with these people. The public's not voting. So you, you, you could be the most popular person. You could actually get the most votes like Eric got at the election and lose because of the weighting of the votes. So like understanding how the votes work, how all of that comes together kind of taught me that, look, the only way, and actually I, I said this to Eric while I was at this AGM, he was not at the AGM, but we talked while I was there and I, and I said to him, I said, look, the only chance a candidate has is they're going to have to go out for like two years and build relationships, do what we did for four months over two years. That's the only chance they've got. And at, at that point, they at best got a 5% chance to win. And he was like, he was like, yeah, you're right. It, it's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, but I mean, that's just kind of where we are right now. And, um, and that's why for me, I, I I'm not obsessed with, um, you know, the president or vice presidential election. I, I don't think that is going to be the, the path for, for change in the, in the near term, it can be down the road, but I think, I think there's some other things and quite honestly, you know, for all of the, the shtick and the, in the, um, pointing out of the things that major league soccer doesn't do well. The one thing that they have done well, the reason why they are in the pole position they are is they have a leader in Don Garber, their, their commissioner and CEO of, of soccer United marketing, who is on mission, staying on vision, on plan, executing. And they've, have out executed everybody else, including in the politics, including in figuring out a way to ingratiate and, and, and now completely intertwine themselves with the Federation. So we can all sit here and say, this is corrupt. This is unethical. This is unfair. And you, you're not helpful to the USL. You're not helpful to NASL when they were around. You are, you're not helpful to NISA or the NPSL Pro or NPSL or UPSL. You're not doing financial deals with anyone else other than Major League Soccer. And you can we could all say that's unfair. Okay. But how did they get there? They got there because they out. It's kind of like the, the, the game Survivor. The TV show, right? Yeah. They have they have outwitted, they have outplayed, and that that's why they have outlasted everyone else. And until we all get better at being smart with decisions, until we get better about being committed to those decisions, we have no chance to win an election or to outlast Major League Soccer within the federation. So. I am all with the people that say this is unfair, beat that drum. I talk about it all the time. I think it is important for people to understand the landscape of American soccer totally with that. But at the same time, that does not excuse us from looking ourselves in the mirror and saying, we've got to do better. Yes, that's unfair. Yes, that's unjust. Yes, that is wrong. Some of the things they are doing is not right. However, that is not an excuse for us to say we we can't do better. That's not an excuse for us to just throw our hands up and walk away or quit or to say, 
you know, there's just no use until it, the only way we can get, get this to change is, is, is we have to have a new president. Otherwise, nothing's ever going to change. Well, if, if that's your mentality, nothing will ever change because that system is set up to perpetuate itself. It's not so it's not a, it's you're not going to vote them out. They are going to stay in power forever. Unless the people rise up and take it upon themselves to change things. And that rising up is not going to your, your ballot box and voting because you don't get to vote. That's how corrupt this thing is. You can't walk in and vote for president of U.S. soccer, even though your kids play in U.S. soccer, even though they are registered members. And if you're a coach and you have a coaching license, you have a coaching ID card, you still can't show that ID card and vote. You're shut out. You have no voice when it comes to elections. So rising up is not going to come in that pathway because it's not even available to you to go to the ballot box and vote. So the way that you rise up in this country when it comes to American soccer and specifically the U S soccer federation is to work locally, make what you have locally, the best that it can be and lift your eyes up and find clubs in other communities who have the same aspirations and figure out how to start working together and, and to make it better on your own because Everything that happens in U.S. soccer, every change that has happened has happened because things have just been allowed to happen. So when you look at the all of these different councils and all of these different national sanctioning organizations, all of these things that have happened time and time again, it's because somebody took action. People weren't happy with the way U.S. youth soccer was running, so U.S. club soccer was formed. And then other organizations have been formed. And, they, and, and yes, it has created a sanctioning war and all, these, all of these other aspects. But at the same time, those people took action and they made the change that they wanted to see, which means we have the opportunity to do the same thing, to figure out a way, instead of trying to, to, to make things worse, you know, or just try to get a piece of the pie for ourselves. Instead, we can try to figure out how do we make the system work and how can we get all of these clubs all over the place, regardless of whether, 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 you know, what organization they're sanctioned with, whether it's us club, U us youth, USASA, whatever they are, instead of trying to fight that battle, let's, let's figure out how we can work together and how we can connect to one another, how we can create, you know, leagues that make sense for, for youth players. So they're not driving five hours one way for a match. How, how can we get things to where our operating costs get lower so that yes, we can still pay the coaches that need to get paid and, and run the clubs the way they need to get run, but we don't have to increase the financial burden on parents unnecessarily. How can we, how can we, regionalize as much as possible at the lower levels of the game, both on the adult and the youth space. I mean, when we look at, you, at Spain, when the youth system, they don't have a national league and the country Spain is nowhere near the size of the U S. So like as, as parents, how do we have that conversation with our own kids? How do we have that conversation with our clubs to say, look, it's not a big priority for us to travel from Alabama to Kansas to go play a game. That just doesn't make sense for us. So how do we create better leagues and competition between us and New Orleans, us in Mississippi and in Florida? Like how do we how do we make that work? And then once that's doing great and well and we have academies that actually function like real academies and we have players that are really being developed then you know, maybe we can have a conversation about taking a handful of those kids who are really, really, really good and dedicated and committed to some other part of the country for a, you know, weekend tournament. But this idea of the system, the way we're doing things now is only being done this way because it's been allowed to happen. And people have decided we're not going to change because 
it, this is the way we've always done it, but it's not the way we've always done it. This has only been, it's relatively a new development in the last 20 to 25 years. And it, it, it's gotten worse, not better. So it's, it's not a situation where it's always been this way. We can change things in the same way that they were changed to become what they are today. We can change them to be better for tomorrow. And that's to me where the conversation needs to go in every house in every club in every city community is that how do we get them from where we are today to where they could be, where they should be. And I see a lot of people having that conversation and the more people having that conversation means that we get closer and closer, which means I have hope that we can see what you and I want to see, which is significant change in American soccer in our lifetime. I love your passion. (laughs) I won't even hide it. Uh, Man, uh, I'm going to give you the nickname, the professor, because uh, you know your shit, my friend. Um, that's, uh, that's pretty fantastic. If, uh, if folks want to connect with you and uh, follow along in, in the journey, uh, how can they do that? So on social media, you can find me at Daniel Workman, D-A-N-I-E-L-W-O-R-K-M-A-N. And um, you can find me Twitter, Instagram, Uh, You can search for me on Facebook, find me the easiest way to connect with me um, or to, you know, find episodes of soccer works is to go to wrk.mn forward slash soccer works, or just go to wrk.mn and that'll take you to my site, uh, the danielwortman.com. It's just a short link to get there. So you don't have to type as many characters. Um, I'll even share my email. If you want to just shoot me an email, daniel at wrk.mn. I don't care uh, if that gets out to the public. Just send me an email. If you got any thoughts, questions, whatever, I love to connect with people. And, you know, the last thing I would say uh, for everybody is stay tuned because um, I've got some new formats opening up. Uh, very soon on some projects that I've been working on for um, the last six months. And um, maybe as early as next week, you'll start to see one of the new iterations of the show um, and um, working out some kinks and final test runs on that. But um, I look forward to, to, to that new chapter of um, kind of this media project I'm working on and, Started with Soccer Works as a short form podcast, and it's going to expand into a live show and, um, you know, Monday through Friday and kind of taking what we're doing and putting it on steroids and, um, and, and engaging with people around the country. So stay tuned for that because I would love to have you as well as others around the country uh, on the show and and uh, look forward to, to that next chapter. Love it. I, uh, I think that's awesome. And uh yeah, man, we're gonna keep uh, keep beating the drum, and uh, for what I'm trying to do here in in Pittsburgh and in in PA, and what you're doing in Alabama, and uh, you know in the South. I mean, yeah, uh, we can only do what we can do in our local communities, but um, we got to start somewhere. And uh, you know, I was thinking when you were, uh, you know, sort of giving, uh, you know, sort of the structure of U.S. soccer and some of the challenges, you know, significant challenges it's really no different than if someone is, uh, you know, motivated to get involved politically in whatever their, you know, affiliation, that it has to start at the local level. It can't, you know, uh, you know, I remember as a kid, and you probably remember this too, right? Of, uh, you know, write your congressman or write your senator or, you know, something like that. And okay, that's great. But what about the local people? And, you know, like you said, try to make your local club better and then, you know, kind of branch out from there. And, um, you know, it, it's so funny. I, I just kept thinking of Chris, uh, the whole time you're, you're saying that because, you know, for what he's been able to do in Charleston, um, and that's a, a place that I'm, you know, reasonably familiar with that, uh, I mean, it's pretty damn awesome. And, uh, I think you it's know. amazing. Um, and, you know, we need a lot more Chris's around the country. I mean, I look, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to put in a shameless plug as we close this podcast for Chris Kessel <laughs> right now. Okay. This is Amen. my unpaid, um, 
advertisement, promotional, whatever, you know, you want to call this campaign ad for Chris Kessel for vice president of U.S. soccer. But here it goes. I, I don't think that there is a person in the country that has done more in his community over the last five plus years for soccer than Chris Kessel. And I think what he has done in West Virginia could be replicated around the country and more people should be learning from him and reaching out to him and implementing the things he's talked about. And I think the voters, all of you voters out there who are listening, should consider writing him a recommendation letter so that he can actually get on the ballot and vote for him because he is a soccer person trying to make soccer better for this country. And we need more of him involved in the upper levels of our federation. So that's my free unpaid uh, campaign ad for Chris. Clip, Chris, you can clip this out and post it wherever you want. I don't care. But we need more guys like Chris uh, around the country. He does amazing work. I always love chatting with him, going back and forth. We have wrestled with the path forward um, as a concept and the entire white paper and just the the whole aspect of system and systemic reform and structure for years. And this has kind of been the culmination of that conversation and kind of the next chapter after we came through the election last year of going, okay, Hey, where do we go from there? Um, and how do we go forward? So back Chris vote for Chris. If you have a vote, if not tell somebody that does have a vote to vote for Chris, because he is a good guy and he wants the best for American soccer. Shameless plug. Not shameless at all. <laughs> Cause uh, I'm uh, a thousand percent behind you on that one, Daniel, for sure. Um, I'm so glad that we've been able to connect and uh, love following along with the podcast and um, yeah, keep, keep doing good things, man. Um, you know, I, I feel like a phrase that I've said to folks like you and Chris and John and, you know, some of the other, I don't know if we want to call ourselves reformist, uh, but we, we need more folks like you uh, in the soccer community. And, um, you know, it, it only takes, I mean, I, I don't look at trying to colonize or trying to, you know, evangelize 50 people at a time or 100 people at a time. It starts with one. And, you know, uh, it's sort of like uh, when you go to a restaurant, right? If you tell a friend, hey, you know, like we were talking about the uh, the burger place, you know, man, that burger was really good. Um, you should go check it out. Chances are that person's going to go check it out because they believe in, you know, what you recommended to them. And, um, you know, uh, it starts with one. So I love that. Absolutely. We can only do what we can do. And if we all do what we can do better, we'll, we can get better as a country really fast. Yeah, agree. I had mentioned to you guys that May was going to be a really big month for this show. And I think it has been thus far. Um, you can expect two episodes per week for most of the summer. My spring season just finished up, and I should have some additional time. And I've already done uh, a bunch of planning as it relates to the month of June and already thinking about July of guests to have on the show. If you ever have a suggestion for a guest, uh, you can send a DM to me at SoccerCoachJB on Twitter or Instagram, and uh, I will give that a look and certainly consideration to have that person on the show. It doesn't matter where they're from, doesn't matter their soccer background, um, really interested in just connecting you to coaches, players, and influencers in our favorite game. My thanks to Daniel Workman for being on the latest episodes of the On the Touchline podcast. And Daniel, I just want to say, keep doing what you're doing, man. I love the enthusiasm and passion that you have for our game. We absolutely need to ask the hard questions of U.S. soccer and expect more from what the U.S. Soccer Federation is doing here in the States. And we deserve better. And it takes people like you and others uh, beating that drum. So please know that 
I am your brother from another mother, uh, so to speak, here in Pennsylvania. A new episode of the show coming your way next Wednesday. And in the meantime, uh, please share the show out on social media. Listen on your favorite podcasting platform. Make sure you're subscribed to the show because on occasion, uh, although most weeks you're going to get two shows, there may be a week where you get a third show, uh, maybe even a fourth show. Um, So we'll have to see how that plays out. All right, guys. Well, I will catch you all really soon. And until next time, this has been the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.